it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here on the Wednesday edition. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Douglas Murray. Uh, he's actually in studio, kind enough to come up right after Fox and Friends and Vivek Ramaswamy at the bottom of the hour running for President of the United States. Uh, the president is now made it official. He's going to be running for four more years. We'll see what that looks like uh, starting today. Kind of shocking news. Donald Trump says, according to his Truth Social post, don't think I'm going to debate. No one check with me in the times and places and format. Really? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So what are these two meeting about? What are Hunter and Tony Blinken talking about with each other while Hunter is making all this money? All arrows point at Tony Blinken. He has to be hauled before Congress. Uh, yeah, there you is, Stephen Miller. Hunter's circle of corruption widens as Tony Blinken links to Hunter hijinks become clearer by the day. I know this is Arkansas judge makes it clear deadbeat Hunter Biden better show up in court and pay for his kid who's now four years old. Pressure is rising everywhere. Is that why the president was rushing to say I need four more years? Number two. When you reopen the bill. No, we're going to pass the bill in the floor. Wait, you guys not listen to my answer? <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Some pretty big news now. Uh, Kevin McCarthy hits a corn block just as House GOP began to put pressure on President Biden to do a deal on the debt deal, including some Democrats saying you got to deal with uh, with Kevin McCarthy. They hit a roadblock. And Matt Gates too, has said, I don't like some provisions in this. Now, late word as I was walking up here that a deal with Republicans in the House might be done. We'll watch it. Number one. Joe Biden's announcement video was one of the weirdest things that I've ever seen uh, as far as talking about freedom and lack of vision. Uh, I was looking at that thinking, what does this guy define as freedom? (laughs) Plots in plan. Yep. Uh, That's Governor Kristi Noem. President Biden's plan for 2024. Show about how bad life would be if Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump was president. That's a little bit of a problem, isn't it? They don't have a candidate who's capable of campaigning, so their message is the other guy is really bad. Hey, Joe, how about a plan to govern? Not just go green, maybe a little patriotic with a little vision. What about what inspires the American people? Douglas, what do you think of Doug, thanks so much for coming up, by the way. But don't you used to, you know, you have a chance to produce a video. You got all the money in the world. Mm. We're used to NFL films. We're used to uh, fantastic documentaries. Give me two minutes. You could really get people's eyes to water. Is that your takeaway from the video you saw yesterday? No, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, his, his slogan has been, you know, let's finish the job. I, I watched that. I thought this video would finish me off. <laughs> um, it was depressing. It was so depressing. And you just had in your, I just had it going through my mind all the time. Is this really the best we can do in America? Is this really the best? So you wrote got? that, you know, I mean, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Where's the talent? Where's the talent? We've, you know, Biden has stumbled at best through the last few years. The idea he's just going to keep on a stumbling, I don't know. So, so Douglas, this must be, uh, how long have you lived here? Uh, full time only for two years, but I've been visiting for a quarter of a century. You have been. 
So it must from uh, you're not an outsider, but for outsiders, they must be saying, why wouldn't you if you have ambition and you do believe that you you want what's best for the country? Mm. And if it's truly service, you'd say, yeah, 45 years old. I'm a successful governor. Yeah. This guy's 80 years old. Absolutely. I'm going to I'm going to run. I'm going to compete. Well, here's, here's one Just of, compete. Just go. Well, what's stopping Democrats from competing with this guy? Exactly. I mean, here's one of the real oddities of America. I say this as, a, as an insider outsider. My own country of origin is Great Britain, as you know from my accent. Uh, it's a bit of a giveaway. Yeah. My country, the, the prime minister is younger than me. I'm 43. The prime minister, Rishi Sunak, is 42. Oh. I always think of him as a bit of a stripling. Yeah. Uh, uh, over in France, Emmanuel Macron, 45, 46. Justin Trudeau, well, uh, not a man I admire, uh, 51 now. Yeah, that's quite normal. I mean, I'm not saying that people can't run, you know, a country at any age. I mean, so, I mean if if if, uh, if if people are cognitively capable, and, and many people are, Joe Biden doesn't seem to be. But what is strange in America is that there's this generational just chasm between the class that we have in charge and and the rest of the country. Why shouldn't people in their 40s be running for the presidency in America? Why should we be stuck with these octogenarians? I don't have an answer to that. And to me, you know, Trump wasn't waiting for permission. No. He just jumped in, you know, 74, whatever he was, 72, when he jumped in. He wasn't waiting for permission. If I, if, if I am Governor Pritzker, if I am Governor Polis, mm. if I'm the Governor Bashir of Kentucky, hey, guys, uh, I've been watching him for the last two and a half, three years. I could do a better job. I'm in. Right. Who's permission? Who's governing? Who's governing? Who gets in? So yeah. he clearly is struggling. Yeah. I don't enjoy saying that. Bernie Sanders wouldn't be struggling. I think he's terrible for the country, but he's he's. You know, I look at the CEO Ken Langone of Home Depot. I think mm-hmm. he's almost ninety. Right. This guy, he could run Home Depot right now. Sure. So uh, Jack Welch, up until the end, this guy was still on top of his game. So don't think if you're listening to us right now, we're putting down eighty year olds. I don't get it. Why? Why it's Marianne Williamson. And I don't get uh, I don't get why it's uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Yeah. They just won't sing from that hymn sheet on the Republican side. They probably go seven deep with talent. Yeah. I mean, seven, it, eight strong candidates. That's right. I and mean, that's one of the things that struck me, you know, through all of the debate of the last few years is that the Democrats actually have a very weak bench, whereas the Republicans have a very strong bench. But the interesting thing about the Democrat bench is Biden has not been good at allowing talent to grow up underneath him. In fact, you could say the whole of the Democratic leadership has not been. I mean, I was joking the other week when uh, Dianne Feinstein, was, you know, people were saying perhaps she was past it. I said, nonsense. In today's Democratic Party, her best years may yet be ahead of Absolutely, her. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but the point, you know, the same thing with uh, Pelosi and so on. It's almost like there was, there's Fiburn. a... Absolutely. There's a sort of grip that that generation has and they have not actually allowed talent to grow up underneath them. This is quite common in politics. It's, it's, it's known among politicians as a sort of palm tree phenomenon where, 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 where somebody is sort of a big beast and nothing can grow underneath them. They don't actually allow things to grow. That is, that is basically what Biden has been. He has not allowed talent. I mean, who can credit anyone from his administration? I mean, uh, you mentioned Anthony Blinken earlier. Uh, Anthony Blinken has been Secretary of State. We haven't actually heard anything of Anthony Blinken. Foreign policy is effectively run by the president. So we don't hear from Blinken. Even if Blinken wanted to run, and I suspect he does, people have told me he would, he would like to at some point, 
There's no oxygen for somebody like him to take credit for anything. Everything comes to Biden. So, yeah. as I say, it's a palm tree-like phenomenon. Nothing has grown up underneath him, and the country is the worst for that. But I remember, if you think about it, Barack Obama, 40 years old, says, yeah. I'm taking on Hillary Clinton. They say, yeah, it's not your turn. They said, tough. Yeah. He says, I'm running. Absolutely. And he was trailing by 18, then 9, and then he wins Iowa and then takes New Hampshire. And it's game on, and Hillary Clinton never recovered. She takes a back seat, moves forward. And then when Sanders approaches and gets close, we find out that they put their hand on the scale to make sure he was marginalized. Well, Think D- about that. Yeah, I mean, the DNC on this, I mean, is, is – I don't know. I don't know how I want to use the word corruption, but it, it's, 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 it's a sort of cartel-like behavior they have. If you, if you run against – the grandees, yeah, you know, they really don't forgive it. Uh, I want you to hear uh, a little bit. This is this is the observation uh, from Christy Nome. I thought we nailed it. Cut seven. Joe Biden's announcement video was one of the weirdest things that I've ever seen <laughs> uh, as far as talking about freedom odd. and lack of vision. Uh, I was looking at that thinking, what does this guy define as freedom? And if people really want to see it, they need to come visit us in South Dakota. In fact, just pack up and move because you're going to want to stay here. So, I mean, that, that's really where he's at right now. Do you remember Barack Obama with all the talent and, and the well he, he can speak and he can talk and he was willing to do interviews? His best policy was make Mitt Romney unelectable. Yes. Still, Mitt Romney, he's, he's a rich white guy who's going to destroy your country, country and uh, indicates he's racist. Yeah. Remember the 1980s called Mitt, he wants your foreign policy back when he said Russia is our number one geopolitical foe. Yeah, so that was on the money. But that's what that's what Joe Biden's people are doing now. So Mark Thiessen wrote in yesterday's Washington Post, Donald Trump can't beat Joe Biden. I think that's true. I think that's true. All the polls show that. Trump can galvanize part of the Republican base. That's for sure. Uh, he cannot get uh, undecided. He cannot get anyone who is not a Republican loyalist. He can get a certain type of person out who who wouldn't normally vote, the type of people who turned out in 2016 and, to be fair, in 2020 as well. But there is no scenario that I can see where even Trump versus Biden, Trump wins, because when you break it down by the state, what's changed in Wisconsin, what's changed in Pennsylvania, what's changed in Georgia, absolutely. what's changed in Arizona? And as I say, I mean, it's very clear. I mean, one of the things that the former President Trump uh, is still sore about is that he had, you know, he, he won a lot of votes in 2020. Absolutely. Over 70 million. He won a lot of votes. But, you know, the problem with him is he's also the best get out the vote candidate that the Democrats have. So he will, I would, I would predict, if he were the, the candidate of the next election, he will lose very soundly to Joe Biden. Worse. And worse. Even though Biden's not going to campaign, he clearly can't do an interview. Exactly. And, 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 and What does that say? Well, it's exactly. Well, it's a very interesting thing, this, because, and this is no reflection on any of the candidates, but I would have thought in that situation, speaking to people around him, that Trump would look at those polls and realize there is just no way through. Uh, one of the things, maybe the thing that Donald Trump hates most in all the world is being a loser. We know from his entire career, being a loser is just the worst thing. Um, if he runs again against Biden and he loses worse than last time, he's a double loser, which from his own point of view is just the worst thing to be. So I do wonder, actually, if that is actually going to be the race and whether or not Trump doesn't try to find some way out. I I, I I wouldn't cancel that out as a possibility. 
And if you see the polls today, although DeSantis is way down below Trump in the Republicans. Uh, ticks slightly up this week. Ticks slightly up. But, I mean, in certain key battleground states like Iowa last, last week, I mean, he was like half of uh, Trump's figures. And this is partly, of course, because of the galvanizing uh, effect of the indictment against Trump and the, and the correct perception that he's being politically persecuted. I mean, I think that's, that's definitely true. And I think a lot of people have been galvanized to support Trump because of that. But here's, a, here's the problem of the, the turn the Republicans have to make. Uh, the polls show that actually DeSantis could beat Biden. There's a, there's a poll in today's New York Post showing this. Uh, DeSantis could beat Biden. But how DeSantis gets the Republican Party nomination when Trump is running, it's very hard to see. Well, the only thing I keep in mind, Douglas, is he is not a declared candidate yet. And there's yep. no way he's going to let one punch go unanswered. It's just not the way he is. But it doesn't make any sense to do it now My in talking to his people. And whether that's going to work, we know, Mitt, you know Marco Rubio says, I'm going to start hitting back. Ted Cruz says, I'm going to start hitting back. They both lost. And they're both friends with him now, by the way. They both yeah. really like and I'm also struck by this. If you are correct and you still don't think there's a pathway for Trump, why are all these Republicans endorsing him? Steve Daines just weighed in. Got seven or eight uh, Florida, Florida politicians that weighed in, including a guy we both like, Mike Waltz. Mm. Just said, yeah, he's my guy. So I'm just uh, I'm just curious. And I do think this is his best team so far. Yes. I think they're, they're the most uh, cohesive unit. They seem to like them. Yeah. You know, they're not jumping ship. They're not, I they're not I, talking out of turn. When I, um, when I, look at the, when I looked at the Republican field in recent years and spoken to a lot of the candidates or people who, who, who could be running, the thing that's always struck me has been the way in which Trump has held back the race. It's like uh, somebody at the starting line threatening yeah. other people. If you, if you start running... You know, I'm going to take you out. Uh, there has been a significant amount of fear in the Republican camp on that. Uh, I would say it's, it's high past time that that fear disappeared. But, you know, I'm reminded of that line from The Wire. If you come for the king, you best not miss. Understood. If you want to come for Trump, you better not blow it up, you know. We have news on the House Republicans getting behind the 300-plus page proposal that would be necessary for them to sign off on raising the debt ceiling. That's true when we come back with Douglas Murray. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I just think they've bent over backwards to do everything that Hunter asked them to do. So if Hunter says, I'm going to have business deals and let's not tell anybody about them, but I need your help, Dad, Joe Biden has a history of bending over backwards to do, make life easier for his son. And, of course, we all suspect that his son made life easier for the father by funneling the money that he received from his lobbying efforts abroad to support his father. How else does he have a beach house in Delaware on a senator's salary? So 
that is the family history. I'm just glad to see Hunter is going to get hauled into court. It's appropriate if you want to get answers. And they're talking about the overseas business dealings. It could very much affect foreign policy. Not so much cracking down on a guy that used to do a lot of drugs and be addicted to have uh, a series of addictions. That is Ari Fleischer, Douglas Murray here. Douglas, he's referring to the fact that we're getting more and more information about the way the family finances work. He does the deals. Up to 12 members of the Biden family benefit. And they say this six separate times that James Comer has identified that deals done with countries could have affected the vice president and president's policy, whether it's Ukraine, Mm -hmm. whether it's China, whether it's to sanction Russian billionaires and not to sanction Russian billionaires, two of which not sanctioned breakfast with uh, Hunter. That's right. No, it's um, we've heard a lot in consecutive presidencies about alleged, you know, money for favors. We had the whole issue of the Clinton Foundation for a long time. There were all of these innuendos about the Trump family and, you know, the idea, which I think was rubbish, that Trump had run for office in order to become richer. That didn't work out, did it? Um, uh, but, but actually this one, the Biden family, is the real deal, it seems to me. As a you story. got the banking records. Yeah. And, and it's, it seems to me the more we know about it, it's a kind of slam dunk. Um, we, we, the, the, as you mentioned, there's the Burisma issue with Ukraine. I mean, that's a straightforward one. You don't, uh, Hunter Biden had no knowledge of natural gas, let alone natural gas in Ukraine. You get, got paid $50,000 a month or something for that, for sitting on a board and, and an expertise he didn't have. But the China one, now that's the real one. That's the real one. Because if the Chinese Communist Party knows how relatively cheap in their eyes it is to buy political influence in America, then that is a national security issue for America. And do we sell a mine to the CEFC to enhance their Belt and Road program and undermine American interest in getting rare earth and the Burisma executive uh, communicating with the then Deputy Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, and how intertwined he was with Hunter and how close they were? It's extraordinary. I mean, I mean, it is an issue in our politics in this country, and it's a problem, and it's one that has to be addressed, you know, across the aisle. I would say, but the idea that when the higher up in office you get, the money spigot turns on not just for you but for anyone around you—that is a form of corruption which should not be tolerated right. in this republic. Yeah, there's not much nuance there. Douglas Murray, thanks so much for coming up. Even though you did not wear a tie, I found you very effective and believable. (laughs) Vivek Maraswamy next. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The president um, planned to serve all eight years. I'm not, I'm just not going to get ahead of the president. That's something for him to decide. Right. You don't want to get ahead of the president. If he's elected, are you going to serve? That's KJP doing what she does best, uh, being totally ineffective. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy joins us now. As you know, he's running for president. 
uh, on the GOP side. He's been working extremely hard. Strive Asset Management founder, used to take up all of his time, author of a brand new book out this week called Capitalist Punishment, How Wall Street is Using Your Money to Create a Country You Didn't Vote For. And Vivek, you told me on Monday... You were writing this book before you knew it ran for president. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I wanted to see that through and put it out. I don't write these books to make money, so I'm actually donating the profits to a nonprofit that's pursuing litigation against the likes of American Express for their woke hiring practices. But here's the deal. is You don't just vote every November. Okay, you vote every day with your dollars, whether or not you know it. And what these large institutions are doing, like BlackRock, is using your money, probably most of the people listening to this program, to vote for policies in corporate America's boardrooms that, A, most Americans don't agree with, racial equity programs, emissions caps, but that also cause them to make less money. And so what I do in this book is the first step of the solution is you got to see the problem. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. That's so, it's Vivek, about. so if to go to Mr. and Mrs. America listening right now, they make $110,000 a year. They have a financial planner. And do you think that financial planner is saying, I just got to tell you, I'm going to put your, uh, put your money into this mutual fund, and they are not into maximizing profit. They're into public good. How many of – would Mr. and Mr. America say, perfect, thanks, uh, thanks so much, Don. Uh, I, ho- I hope not to make that much money. They would say, heck no, if they knew. Exactly. Here's, here's the dirty little secret, Brian. Most of those financial planners don't also know it either. So most of these people, even the financial planners at the local – They assume BlackRock is maximizing Yeah, or they're not even thinking about it, right? They're just allocating to these model portfolios. That's what they call them, served up to them. They don't even know that it's a firm that's actually voting the shares this way. So everyone's asleep at the switch, and it's designed to be that way by, for example, the Biden administration. So the Biden Department of Labor passed a rule last year that – Changed the federal rule, which previously said these investment fund managers and retirement fund managers had to invest with the sole objective of making a profit to say that they could take these other factors like climate change into account, what they call benefits other than investment return. That's what their words were. So there was actually a bipartisan bill in Congress supported by Democrats that overturned that Biden rule. Biden's first veto was rejecting that legislation. So what they're doing is that rule used to say they had to at least disclose it to mom and pop. But the final rule that Biden passed, they took out the disclosure requirement because they said that would have a chilling effect on the use of ESG. So what does that tell you? It tells you they're trying to hide it from that mom and pop whose money is in their 401k account or their retirement account is used to force Apple and to force Chevron to adopt racial equity audits and emissions caps without them knowing it. It's like a fraud, Brian, and that's why I actually wrote this book to expose it. So if you think about it, if, I, if we were living in Georgia in 1962 mm-hmm. where Jim Crow was in place and there were white and black water fountains and you got to get – if you're black, you go to the back of the bus and the mm-hmm. Rosa Parks situation – I could see a situation where if you were a wealth manager saying, guys, if you're going to subscribe to what's going on here, this racial injustice, this is this flagrant, I could see – I'll make people aware, but I could say I'm probably not going to invest in there. I'm not okay with that. But when you talk about uh, a – this green mission, this green – this green – I think it's a religion. It's a religion religion that's out there, and you're taking my money, and you keep it away from oil and gas when they're working hard on emissions, and they they are being responsible responsible custodians of the country. And though it's in our best interest not to actually have an electric car, you could actually make that argument, 
then we're into the nuance of it. This is not 1960. It's certainly not 1860. Yeah, and the way I look at it, Brian, is if you want with your own money to advance a social or political or environmental agenda. Tell me. It's a, and it's a free country, so yeah. you can do it with your own money. But you can't do it with what I call OPM, other people's money. Without okay. telling them. Without telling them and without getting their express consent. And so the first step is knowledge. I called the book Capitalist Punishment right. for a reason because it is in the name of capitalism. They're actually punishing capitalism itself. And what I like to do is I think you have to message people you got to compete. Yes. So you don't, you're not going to win every time, mm-hmm. but you got to compete. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to try to get that job. I'm going to work those extra hours and try to get that promotion. If you don't get that promotion, life isn't terrible. America isn't awful. You got to figure out a way to get it the next time. So That's there's right. got to be glory in the effort. That's right. And not only in sports, but in life. In capitalism, in sports, in life, hardship is not the same thing as victimhood. Right. We live in a moment where we say, if you go through some hardship, now you're a victim. No, I reject that. And you get, can be a victor instead. And think about this: what they just introduced. I found out about it on Monday. This whole mortgage leveler. So <laughs> so you're working hard. You, you're making good money. You make sure your credit's great. If you have $100 on your Amex, you pay it off. Your credit's great. You have your 15% down payment. You're about to buy your house. And then your mortgage broker says, well, there's now a 14% fee because there's people out there who can't afford their down payment and don't have good credit. This is going to them. Have I correctly described the Biden mortgage plan? I think you actually have. And the, it's just one other example of how the equity agenda turns everything upside down. You work hard and get ahead. Nope. You're actually at the bottom of the pyramid. They're going to purposefully make it work in the other direction. You took a student loan out. You're actually the person who worked hard to pay it back. Well, why'd you bother doing that? Because we're going to forgive it on the back end anyway. I think that that's really what's going on, even with the climate agenda, Brian, is that the U.S. got so far ahead of places like China that we apply these emissions caps over here to now let China catch up, even though it's in the name of climate change. So it's this pattern we see of turning everything that makes sense upside down in the name of this agenda of global equity, whether it's within our country or on the global stage. That's what we see. So you're running because you're optimistic about the country. You I have am. a vision. Yes. And at 37, correct? Mm-hmm. 37. That, that it's easy to say. That's your approach. You know, the other person who's speaking a lot like that is Tim Scott. And he's not quite in yet. He's talking about the vision and, and what he's experienced. This president made it pretty clear. He's running and he wants to win because he's not Donald Trump. That's it. He has no vision. This None. is He starts with January 6th with the video and talks about how bad it was and we got to cleanse the soul of America. And then when asked, can you – the simplest question in the world by somebody who got hired to check the box, KJP, please don't tell me she's qualified. She can't answer the question, would the president serve out his term? What, what easier question is there in life? So look, Biden is a puppet. Let's just call that for what it is. The rest of it starts to make sense. So she can't even ask Joe Biden what his intention is because his intention isn't the one that matters. It's that of the managerial class that's using him as a stooge, as a front man to advance their agenda. And once you see that, everything else starts to make sense. But I do think that a lot of young Democrats, we're starting to see this in the surveys, Brian, are disaffected with Biden. I think, look, as the, I'm the first millennial. 74% 18 to 34s do not want him to run. Yeah, you saw that too. You're all over it. That's exactly right. I think we can – I'm traveling college campuses across this country, and I'll tell you what I see, Brian. I see a generation of Americans who are hungry for a cause, for purpose, and for meaning. That word, purpose. Purpose. They're hungry for purpose. We can give that to them by offering a vision of our own. That's what I'm doing in this race, Brian. And, and frankly, it's easy to criticize Biden. 
We've got to look ourselves in the mirror and just say as Biden's complaining about Trump, we can't just be a Republican Party that's complaining about Biden. We have to have a vision of our own. And I'm the first millennial ever to run for U.S. president as a Republican, by the way. I have full confidence that I'm seeing it on the ground as I travel this country. We can bring that next generation along with us if we bring some actual vision to the table. That's what I'm doing in this race. Right. And I know that, too, like when you go into the inner cities in the the black community, they say, we don't even see Republicans. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't come by. So and I've talked to other people on Long Island, for example, I go, guys, does anyone are you trying to win New York? Are you trying? And and they say, yeah, we'll go into the black community. And they uh, with the reception they get is kind. Mm -hmm. But where we feel like we're selling out. Our, our race when we go with Republicans, which is crazy. Historically, it's the exact opposite. Totally. But in, of late, that's the way people have been voting. I think it could change. I mean, I spoke to an all-black church in South Carolina last time I was there in a rural community. I'm told it was mostly left-leaning or Democrat, but that didn't matter. They were applauding for the message of actually empowerment. I told them about how I went to a racially diverse, it was close to a majority black public, uh, public school through eighth grade. There isn't a single one of those black kids, Brian who couldn't have achieved everything that I have in my life if they had been given the actual privilege that I had. That wasn't money. I didn't grow up in money. It was two parents in the house with a focus on education. And you want to know what the majority of black kids, over 70% of black kids in this country before the 1960s or in the 1960s were born into two-parent households. Lyndon Johnson's Great Society, designed to help black Americans supposedly, actually reversed that trend. Now it's fewer than 30 percent in the other direction because the government gave them those financial incentives. That's what's happening. And then what I do, it frustrates people when they say, well, the black family broke down or the American family's breaking down because you can't do anything about it. What you could do about it immediately is stuff like charter schools. Yeah. And a lot lot of them, there's mentor programs within those charter schools and discipline and demands within it from dress code on down and scholarships that might be available. And just to see teachers unions in New York, especially push back against that. I'm like, how could you be in the teaching business and care about kids and not want to put them in a situation that's so comprehensive and effective as that? But I want you on this note before I let go of Joe Biden and him running again. Dan Pfeiffer, a key aide to uh, President Obama uh, during his years, now he's got a podcast, said this about the candidacy and the age of Joe Biden, cut 14. You can't avoid it. it. Joe Biden's age is an absolutely legitimate question that has to be answered in this election. It should be. The salience of that question is going to depend on two things. One, how old the Republican nominee is. If it is Donald Trump, who is, I think, a relatively aged 76-year-old, I think the the question of Biden's age goes down. And it's how he handles himself on the campaign trail. And if he handles himself on the campaign trail over the next two years, like he has in the White House over the next four years, he will easily meet the threshold the American people want. And so you can't run away from it. The only way to get there is not around its throat. Your his your your assessment of his assessment. Well, I like that I like the last part. So the only way to get is get done is through. I, I just think we have to I think we have to take a step back and understand that the real division in this country that I see, Brian, is not between Republicans and Democrats. Okay, I think that's artificial today. Right. I think it is between the managerial class and the everyday citizen, between those of us who are pro-American, right, stand for this country and its ideals and those who are anti-American. And that exists in this country. But we view it that way. It's not 50-50 anymore. It's 80-20 in this country in our favor. 
I think that means we can deliver a landslide mm-hmm. election in 2024 like Ronald Reagan did in 1980. That's the opportunity that I see. And I think we've just got to keep our eye on that ball. I'm in this race to deliver it. When we come back, your brawl, uh, not ball, with Don <laughs> Lemon. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Vivek Ramaswamy with us. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I don't really see what one has to do with the other, especially consider and using the Civil War to talk about black Americans. That war was not fought for black people to have guns. That's, that's, that's not... That war was fought for black people to have freedoms in this country. Yeah. Actually, that's why the Civil War was fought. Okay. And the sad that part about it... That wasn't fought for, for black people to have guns, I think. Actually, you know, no funny fact is black people did not get to enjoy the other freedoms until their Second Amendment rights were secured. And I think that that's black, one of the lessons that we still learned. aren't allowed to enjoy the freedoms. I disagree with you country. on that, Don. I disagree with you. I think you're doing a disservice well, to our country okay. by failing to recognize when the you, fact that we have the quality of the law. And you live in this country, then you can disagree with me. But we're not. And that was a little of the meltdown that uh, that and the and the, uh, the brawl that went on with Don Lemon and Vivek Ramaswamy, and I have a job at that time, so I missed it, but I saw it was everywhere. Vivek, bring us back to that moment in studio. So I went. I make a point of this, Brian. I like to go to the other side's turf, have the open debate, and to win, and I find that that's good for our movement. So I, I agreed to do that with the hosts on CNN's morning show, and what happened with Don Lemon was there was two points I was making, and it was an interesting fact about history. It's not a partisan point. It's just true that after the Civil War, actually, you know what? stop black Americans from having their rights secured and led to Jim Crow was that they didn't give them the Second Amendment rights. And this was actually a top objective even before the Civil War, the Dred Scott case, which said black people couldn't be citizens. The chief justice of the Supreme Court said the number one reason why was that that would allow black people to have guns. So this was a real fact of history that doesn't often get taught. So they pulled a clip of my speech at the NRA where I said this on stage, and then they asked me, isn't that false what you said? I said, no, it's not, and I laid out that history. That made Don Lemon's head explode because to him, civil rights are good. Second Amendment is bad. And so the fact that those two are actually linked to one another sent him into tailspin. So he really became a whirling dervish. He came for me. He was yelling at his producers in his own ear literally during the segment. He wouldn't let his co-host Poppy get in there. And so, I, I look, I was trying to be as calm as I could, state the facts, win the debate – I think that that actually was the final straw that ended up breaking the camel's back and CNN ousted him just a few days later. What was it like afterwards? It was very awkward, to be honest, to be honest. It was like it was like Larry David. You know, Larry, it's, it's like an episode of Larry David. It was like the end Curb of your enthusiasm. Yeah, it's like Curb Your Enthusiasm where the music comes on at the end of the show. That's kind of how it felt. And Poppy, I have to say, who's his co-host, very decent, right? She was very civil, uh, very polite, and also more importantly than polite, she's interested in actual diverse views and open debate. So i got to give credit where credit's due. But Don was having none of it. He doesn't inter- he's not cared about debate. He cares about advancing his racial agenda. And I think that America's done with that. We're moving on beyond it. And I think it's a good decision. That I want to it. talk about race. I have no, no objection for it. But we just have to acknowledge how far we've come. And we're the most successful multicultural country in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. But yes, uh, we are. Yeah, it, but there's no doubt about it. I just want to share with the audience with this. 
because last night when we went to bed, it looked as though Kevin McCarthy did not have the votes to pass this deal to raise the debt ceiling and at least get in the same room with the president of the United States, let him reject it. Well, now House Republicans are meeting behind closed doors in the conference mission. Uh, he goes, we'll see after this. There's optimism. McCarthy was reluctant to change the bill and give in to the so-called corn, corn caucus on ethanol. Uh, and raising the debt ceiling, he wants to put a work requirement into welfare. 25 days, uh, Matt Gates says, I want 30. Uh, he doesn't even want to change that. He wants to, he could only lose four votes. But there is optimism in the Republican caucus that they'll have a vote. They won't put the vote out unless it'll pass. And then there's going to be pressure on President, uh, uh, President Biden to meet with Kevin McCarthy. Your feeling on this? So, look, I'd reject this idea that the debt ceiling is just some sort of ministerial exercise we're just supposed to automatically go through the motions and raise it exists for a reason it's supposed to prompt dialogue about how we exercise more discipline as a country so i think this is great i think that the republicans should use this as an opportunity to do some of the homework we haven't done as a country to rein in a lot of these government excesses but i also think brian is gdp growth is something we've forgotten and i think we need to be talking about that more that we can grow our way out of our problems this is a catalyst to help do that we all got to work out this together and lastly president trump posted on truth social indications that he's not comfortable necessarily debating under these current rules he wants to know the moderator location and venue I'd say don't be Biden, man. I, I, I respect President Trump. He did great on the debate stage in 2015. I'm the outsider in this race. I've said this since the beginning, Biden, about, about Brian, about uh, the other candidates. They're not going to relish being on the debate stage with me. But that's going to make our party better. It's going to make our country better. It's going to make our movement better. We can't you be like You think he's Democrats. afraid of you? I think everybody on that stage is afraid of me. I think Trump's not going to enjoy debating me, but we're going to do it. All right, go out and pick up uh, Vivek's book, Capitalist Punishment, How Wall Street is Using Our Money to Create a Country. You didn't vote for it. Vivek, best of luck. Thank Thanks you, for coming man. by. I appreciate it. Brian Kilman Show. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Very nice. Uh, locally, I've been on with a lot. I, every day I try to go on with two or three morning shows. Always love going on with Sid Rosenberg, the number one morning show host in the in the number one city, in New York City, the number one market. Uh, pretty impressive. Molly Hemingway is standing by. At the bottom of the hour, Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor, editor-at-large for the Spectator World, host of the Ben Dominich podcast, will be with us. And we're watching some of the events. I'm tracking this. Good news for Kevin McCarthy. It seems, not going to jump ahead, but it seems that Kevin McCarthy's closer and closer to get his Republican caucus to sign off on his plan and his deal to raise the debt ceiling, cutting spending, uh, getting back to 2022 levels. I don't think that's too hard. What about pre-pandemic levels? Why not that? Uh, you know, some problems with uh, ethanol subsidies will follow that story. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So what are these two meeting about? What are Hunter and Tony Blinken talking about with each other while Hunter is making all this money? All arrows point at Tony Blinken. He has to be hauled before Congress. I agree. Uh, this is unbelievable, and I'll expand on it. But the Hunter circle of corruption widens. 
Tony Blinken, the current Secretary of State, links to Hunter hijinks become clearer and clearer. It's in writing. This is the Arkansas judge makes it clear deadbeat Hunter Biden better show up and pay child support for his four-year-old child, which is despicable that he's not being pressured to do so by his president, who's the father. Number two. Will you reopen the bill? No, we're going to pass the bill in four weeks. You guys not listen to my answer, <laughs> Uh, that is what we're talking about. Kevin McCarthy uh, hits the hits a roadblock in the corn block right in the Midwest. Just as House GOP began to put pressure on President Biden to make a deal on the debt ceiling, the speaker plan hits a Midwestern block for now. Uh, and a soft no from the Matt Gates guys. It's up to him right now to whip them into shape. Is he doing it? Indications are yes. Number one. Joe Biden's announcement video was one of the weirdest things that I've ever seen uh, as far as talking about it was freedom odd. and lack of vision. Uh, I was looking at that thinking, what does this guy define as freedom? Uh, there you go. Uh, there we go. Uh, we're talking about plots and plans. President Biden planned for 2024. Show up and show everybody how bad Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis would be. The problem They don't have a candidate who is capable of campaigning with a message that would tell us where we're going for the next four years, just where we've been and how much better he would bring us to a place. I want a patriotic message that inspires. We need somebody looking ahead. Molly Hemingway knows all that. Editor-in-chief of Federalist, senior journalist, uh, journalism fellow at Hillsdale, Fox News contributor and author of Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and Democrats Seized Our Elections. Molly, first off, what strikes you about the message that President Biden put out yesterday? Well, it's interesting. He seems to be doing just a complete reboot of his 2016 campaign of running against Republican governance. The problem – or sorry, his 2020 campaign. The problem is we now have a few years of what what life is like under his policies – and it makes it much more difficult to make that argument. You know, he wants everyone focused on how much he doesn't like Republicans. And I think a lot of Americans are more focused on inflation or the fentanyl crisis or the lack of a border or our, our horrific situation in foreign policy. And he's the one responsible for it. But he, you know, he has the benefit of a very compliant media to push his message. So maybe he just knows he's going to keep going with it. I guess so. Do you think that it was rushed for a reason? One, you know, we heard about a month ago that he was going to let Republicans fight it out through the summer and declare in October. Then we heard later in the spring after his trips. And then next thing you know, it's Tuesday. Here's a tape message for me that was less than inspirational. <laughs> so what do you I- think's going on? Well, no, I, I do think he really understands he's facing some threats from inside his party, and he is trying to stave those off and make it where people do not feel comfortable jumping in. Gavin Newsom is clearly, you know, chomping at the bit to get into this race. And you've had other people already enter and get like numbers they really shouldn't be getting. Someone like RFK Jr. should not be polling as well as he does. And so he's probably just trying to keep everyone else out if he can. Well, we'll find out uh, very shortly. There was a a Truth Social put out yesterday that President Trump is not all in when it comes to the debates. He said, I I need to know who's going to be the moderator, the location, the venue. Do you think we know he missed the Fox debate before? How do you feel? And we know one debate went by the boards last time with with President Biden. What do you think is happening there? 
I think he's probably just negotiating right now. He does very well when he debates, and he that's actually and vanquishing his opponents is what gets people excited about him. But he also knows that the way that we run our debates has been pretty corrupted. We have a bunch of left wing activists in major media who you know frame their questions and their attacks. They're almost like you're debating the moderator as much as you're debating anyone else. And so he's probably just negotiating for leverage, but he should not avoid debates if he can't help it. Probably if they hadn't taken away that foreign policy debate from him in 2020, it would have had a huge impact given how close that election was and how successful his record was uh, in terms of foreign policy. Um, we're seeing behind the scenes, there is some things going on uh, with Kevin McCarthy's caucus about getting everybody on board. He can only lose four voters uh, to put together his idea of how and what would it take to raise the debt ceiling uh, for the House to sign on to it and for it to pass on to the Senate. Do you believe if they are able to pass something out of the House, if McCarthy's able to pull this off, and we can't take anything for granted, do you believe President Obama at this point, President Biden at this point has to meet with McCarthy, being that he's got Manchin and about five, at least five other Democrats saying you should meet with Kevin McCarthy? This is, again, an issue where I think having a corrupt media really serves Democrat interests. Obviously, President Biden has a responsibility to meet with the leader of the House of Representatives on something as important as increasing the debt limit. Uh, failing to do so is reckless, endangers you know, our very like ability to keep functioning as a country, but he somehow spins it the opposite way, where avoiding to meet with someone and not doing anything to work toward fiscal responsibility is somehow an appropriate measure. So I think, though, things seem to be, you know, knock on wood here, things seem to be going all right. It's crazy how narrow this uh, this uh, majority is in the House and how much they're able to do despite or maybe because of that. I want you to uh, bring everybody to this. Uh, James Comer has been, been very aggressive and direct when it comes to finding out what's going on behind the scenes with the Hunter Biden investigation, as well as how it may or may not link to the president and his family. And the links are getting pretty strong. Yesterday's revelation I find fascinating. It turns out Hunter and Anthony Blinken are extremely tight. A number of emails back and forth, including emails that involve some of his Burisma partners, as well as the man in charge of a lot of the family financing. And you have Hunter meeting at high levels and people CC'd on these uh, emails that shows that this current secretary of state is very much entwined with Hunter Biden's international antics. We have these revelations about how much he knew about the business, which also relates to how much uh, Joe Biden knew about the business, falsely claiming otherwise. We also had these revelations about his involvement in the information op that was run against the American people, where the claim was that the you know Hunter Biden laptop, which has so many details about the Biden family business, uh, they falsely claimed it was a Russian Russian like disinformation campaign. And Anthony Blinken knew that wasn't true and yet was still involved in spreading this information off against the American people. That's bad for anybody to have done. When it's your secretary of state, it's a nightmare. And when it's your secretary of state and you're involved in a proxy war against the people you lied about and claimed that they were doing something to meddle in an election and that was a lie, it's just it's it's he's in trouble. And this is the type of thing that congressional committees are going to want answers on and he will not be able to avoid answering. And the simpler you can keep it, uh, the the more important it is. And what I think Comer's doing smart is not just saying, well, you know, this is bad and this is possibly corrupt. How it links to policy. 
And there's about six different areas that he already outlined that said the former vice president and current president might have had foreign policy affected by the deals his son was doing in the family name. You know, for one, why didn't those billionaires in Russia that had breakfast with Hunter Biden, why are they one of the few not to get personally sanctioned when the Ukraine war started? That and so many bigger issues, you know, obviously communist Chinese affiliated companies have been huge benefactors to the Biden family. And Biden has had a pretty soft approach to China and there's some exceptions to that. Of course, it's affecting policy. Why would these companies be giving money to Hunter Biden if they didn't want to affect U.S. policy toward their countries. I mean, that's the whole point of giving the money. There's no other reason. Nobody was going to Hunter Biden for his wise financial advice or anything else. It's all about making sure you affect policy. And now we're getting more details on how that worked. Yeah. In terms of the other element to this, which I also think the compliant media is helping. Can you imagine having a four-year-old beautiful girl out of wedlock and then having to sue the president's son for child support. Now, we're talking about these multi-million dollar deals. We don't know where the money is. He's staying in this beautiful uh, resort-like compound out on the West Coast. And his the woman he had a kid with, who I guess is or was a stripper, has to go to court in order to get child support as this four-year-old girl is totally iced out of all Biden business, family events, not invited to Delaware, and the son might be hiding in the White House to not get served. This is the definition of, of, of dirty and corrupt. It's horrible, and it's not even political. He's also fighting to keep her from having his name. And, you know, just like this week I heard President Biden talking about how we need to understand everybody's children are our own children like, buddy, why don't you start start focusing on the fact that you have not even acknowledged the life and existence of one of your grandchildren, whatever you think about her parents or their careers. That is not that child's fault. And families that make children suffer because of the mistakes that adults make are not good people. And I know people always say, what, how great the Biden family is. This is not this is this is something no family should do whether or not they're poor or wealthy or powerful or whatever. Children should not be punished this way. I would think not. Uh, Miranda Devine weighed in on the investigation. And by the way, this kid's in Arkansas. Cut 25. You would think that this Arkansas matter would be a private matter, as Joe Biden just said. It is about, you know, his illegitimate daughter that he wants to reduce child support payments to. But what makes it more than a private matter is the fact that for the first time uh, we will see in a court of law Um, Hunter Biden Mm -hmm. be forced to disclose his financial records. And that will be very interesting. In particular, uh, we will want to see about uh, the divestment, as his lawyer told us he did, of his 10% stake in that Chinese equity firm, uh, BHR. Yeah, we'd love to see anything like this, a four-year investigation, and and we're going to find out what this whistleblower has to say. That is going to be intriguing. And by the way, we're talking about Molly Hemingway. Molly, do you know where that is at? We heard about it last week, saw the lawyer interviews last week. What about this week? Brian, there was really interesting news that came out last night, and we have a story on it at The Federalist, about how Chuck Grassley said that he has seen evidence corroborating one of the whistleblower's claims that the FBI falsely labeled something related to the Hunter Biden laptop as Russian disinformation, knowingly, you know, falsely labeled this. This is you know, this is not good for, for the people who are involved in that. And some of these whistleblowers 
who seem to be operating very carefully, doing everything by the book, have some really damning information. And of course they would, because we all know it's weird that with all of the problems that would put any of us in jail, that Hunter Biden has been protected by the Department of Justice so heavily. So I'm excited on that one. Right. And and tell you, how many people want to put their careers on the line for the Biden family? How many other people are going to look the other way, get called on the carpet, put, put under oath and say, why did you not pursue this? I mean, at, at one point, do you simply say this is not worth it or, or I can't sleep at night besides this one whistleblower who might be enough? I'm not sure. And just keep in mind, people listening to us, it's not about a guy who was addicted that did irresponsible things. It's how that guy was the, at the tip of the spear for a family gaining influence with other nations that now possibly affected America's foreign policy. That's the big that's the big picture. That's exactly right. It's not about private issues, but it is about how it has affected the American people, our posture toward China, our ongoing posture toward China, and also just issues of public corruption, which, you know, frankly, affect far too much of Washington, D.C. So I, I've talked to two people that we both know, uh, one of which put it in a column, Mark Thiessen, and said Donald Trump basically uh, could get the nomination but can't beat President Biden. Do you believe that, Molly? think we know at this point. I think that it's very legitimate to be concerned about whether President Trump could win or would be allowed to win. Uh, But I actually think that's a concern for all Republican nominees and that it would be good for everybody to be focusing on what is their actual election operation? How are they going to get ballots into the ballot box? It's not about persuasion. It's not about winning the hearts and minds. It's really about ballot operations now. And so If people want something constructive to do and they want a Republican to win, they should focus on that. What are their laws and processes and how can they make sure that they can match this heavily funded and heavily organized effort from the left to get ballots into ballot boxes? And if you don't think it's possible, look at Georgia and look at Florida. And if you want to think it's it and if you want to be frustrated, look at Arizona. So we don't really know what's going on there. They had a they had a Republican governor that just never straightened anything out. Takes him a week to to record every final vote. So it's oh. it's disappointing. We I don't care who wins. I just want the whoever legitimately won to win. I oh, would right. mean Arizona, that. In, in Arizona, it takes like a week to find out how many ballots are out there, much less who they voted for. I mean, this is not something you want to do if you want to have confidence-inspiring elections. So working locally to improve all of those things is very important. Go get him, Molly Hemingway. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Your chance to be heard to a nationwide audience, or write me BrianKilme.com. And then at the bottom of the hour, another deep thinker, Ben Dominich, uh, from the Spectator. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, so glad you're here. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. So what are these two meeting about? What are Hunter and Tony Blinken talking about with each other while Hunter is making all this money? And then you have years later, Tony Blinken, 
apparently being the person who set in motion the chain of events to create the letter that we just heard all that sound from, where 51 intelligence operatives falsely attempted to discredit the laptop that we all know is completely real. So again, all arrows point at Tony Blinken. This man has to be deposed. He has to be hauled before Congress. He has to be put under oath. That is uh, Stephen Miller, who's just outraged about what's going on now with this Blinken revelations. John, listen on WDBO in Orlando. I was on there this morning. Hey, John. Hey, good morning, Brian. You know, uh, the wonderful lady that you just had on and even the soundbite that you just played. Brian, I know I speak for so many of us. We're so frustrated and so uh, becoming cynical because for years now, we just see these Democrats get away with everything. There's evidence of crimes. And, and, and now the, the Biden stuff with Joe and Hunter and getting and closer. John, I understand the yeah. frustration, but it's getting closer. And that was my exit question last night at eight o'clock. I was with Charlie Hurt and it said the next thing people want to know when I leave this building is I understand it. It's bad. When is someone going to pay the price for this? Anyone. And I think it's getting closer. I really do. John, thanks so much. show like no other it's brian kilmeade i look at the world through the eyes of scranton and claymont delaware where i grew up not a joke through the eyes of the working people i grew up with in this nation and the eyes of my dad through the eyes of people like you who've been able to make it because of your union the speaker the former president and the magnet extremists are cut from a different cloth they treat these folks they treat these folks and they think they're a threat. They think that somehow we're going to go back. The threat the MAGA Republicans pose is to take us to a place we've never been and where the last guy tried to take us. Yeah, the last guy won over working class, high school educated Americans who uh, saw more eye to eye with blue collar than he did with white collar. And that's a fact. Even detractors have to say that. So what he's talking about is people that hold the union card. He's talking to union card members. That's fine. You go. To, uh, the president didn't really have anything against unions. If you're in New York and try to build anything, you have to deal with unions. But he was more pro-union than any other Republican who traditionally don't. But for the president, say the other guy didn't want to have anything to do with you, you're missing the mark. And MAGA Republicans don't like uh, everyday Americans. They're not from the same cloth. They're the same cloth. Make America great again is not anti-American. I would love to see an optimistic message from the president, an accurate one. And if he can keep accurate uh, accuracy, that would help. He told another story that made no sense, no meaning, and not true, that his grandfather died in the same hospital he did a week before he was born. The, die, the, the guy didn't die in that hospital and died a year before he was born, maybe two. So why, do you, why does he make things up all the time? The dumb train story with the conductor that had been dead already? You know, the story about Nelson Mandela protesting outside his prison and where he got arrested never happened. His house never burned down. He tells firefighters in, in Ireland, yeah, my house burned down. You guys come and came and saved us and saved all my things. He had a small kitchen fire. Ben Dominic joins us right now. He's editor of Letter Arch of the Spectator. 
World, host of the Ben Dominich podcast, Fox News contributor. Ben, welcome back. Are you still a tingle with President uh, with President Biden's reelection speech? <laughs> well, he's just telling you all the great Irish fables, <laughs> Brian. You know, it's just, all these all these myths and legends that uh, that Joe Biden dreams up all the time. But you know what? There's something actually really deeper here that he's grappling with in that speech and in those remarks. And I think we should pause to appreciate it. Joe Biden represents a Democratic Party that no longer exists, one that was actually dedicated to unions and to working people. And the fact is that the president of the United States that he was vice president underneath, uh, you know, when he made his remarks about the people who were clinging to their their guns and their religion, uh, that was in the context of a Democratic primary in Pennsylvania, which Hillary Clinton won back in 2008. And that's the context that I think we should understand that under, which is that that Democratic Party does not exist anymore. It has been replaced by a Democratic Party that is far more interested into catering to the interests of white suburban moms and using uh, racial fear-mongering to hold on to the minority base of their support in voting communities in major cities across America. And what I think we should understand here is that Donald Trump pierced through something that Republicans have been trying to do for a long time. Yep. You can go back to the days of, of Pat Buchanan talking about uh, conservatives of the heart back in 1992. You know, the idea that these union workers and the people who uh, were part of that working class community were people that Republicans should rightfully campaign within and should win, that their votes were votes that they should seek out, that they should try to get to their side. Donald Trump did that. Many of the supporters that he has or the, the allied politicians that he has within you know, coalitions across the country did that as well. Those are the folks who were able to win. And I think that Joe Biden understands on some level that if that happens again, if that kind of coalition can reform in the next election, that he has something to seriously worry about. And so the message that he's sending there, one that is much more of the uh, akin to 2022 of, you know, the, the idea that democracy is at stake, that MAGA Republicans are going to come and, and, you know, uh, they, that they view you with disdain. Or his first gonna, view, his first shot in that tape was January 6th. Exactly. Exactly. It's fear mongering. It is not the message of a confident incumbent willing to run on his record and say, hey, I've done great things for this country and this economy because he can't. Because he can't, as much as this White House can pretend it, as much as Corrine Jean-Pierre can come out and spin for it, it is not true. And so they are not able to come with that message. Instead, it has to be fear-mongering and darkness, and, and there's all sort. you're surrounded by dragons and devils. And if they come back in, then you won't have the ability to have a country anymore. And that's the type of thing that goes in the exact opposite direction of everything that the media carried water for him for in 2020, the return to normalcy and all the like. So, Ben, I think a lot of people are saying, I want to get this guy's podcast. He is brilliant. You don't even need me. Uh, so so a couple of things are happening. There's no doubt about it. You're right, and they realize it. Uh, he is not strong. He's looking every day of his age. He does not feel comfortable doing interviews or giving speeches. So they're trying to avoid it, and they're going to try to run a campaign like we've never seen before. I remember Eisenhower said, evidently, yeah, I'm going to run for election. If the people don't want me, they don't have to vote for me. I have a job to do. That's not the era we're in right now, and he's certainly not Eisenhower. Uh, he has not had over uh, over 50 percent 
ratings, approval ratings since the Afghanistan debacle. Lee Carter came on our show today and went inside the numbers. Let's hear what the pollster has to say, and then I want you to comment. Cut 16. And his performance is making it, I think, not just about age. I think it's about his mental acuity. Is he able to do the job? And quite frankly, his his job approval numbers are on the decline constantly. And so I think he's got some real issues that are well beyond age that really he cannot address. Joe Biden had uh, 85 percent of voters who who voted for him approve of him. But only 43 or I'm sorry, 43 percent are less excited to vote for him again, less likely to vote for him again. And that's really, really bad news. And that's in in sharp contrast to Donald Trump, who had a 93 percent approval rating among people who voted for him. And now 45 percent of voters are saying they are more enthusiastic about voting for him this year than they were last time. So having said that, then Mark Thiessen wrote a column who thought the president was a good, really good president. He said a great president. But he says that he can't beat Joe Biden. Ben, where do you stand? You know, look, my, my view is this. I covered Joe Biden, uh, you know, both when he ran for vice president and when he was running for president this time. His decay in office since becoming president is very readily apparent. And to me, I think that for the vast majority of Americans – uh, regardless of where they are ideologically, they can't deny that. They look at him and they see what's going on. They understand the decay that's there. And no American, I think, wants to see you know a president uh, pass away in office or be incapacitated in office, reach a point where they can't do the job anymore because of health reasons. And that's why the fact that Kamala Harris is in you know 13 shots of their announcement video is so disturbing because it's almost you know t- telegraphing like. You vote for us, and she's going to be in charge before the end of the term. You know, and when I'm talking to you, and when I'm talking to you, I know that, you know, Senator McCain and Senator Biden were close. Lindsey Graham, too. And I don't think you're up until your father-in-law got sick. He was the same guy. He really was. And you know that better than me. And nobody would say they might make Letterman might joke about it, but it wouldn't be true. Would he recognize this Joe Biden? I don't think he would. And I, and, I, and I say that quite honestly and not with any joy in my heart. I, do, I think that this is a Joe Biden who is well past the point where he should have exited the scene. And look, there's, there's a lot of us who I think believe that there's, there's a point in, in, American, in the American Republic and American democracy where we might uh, consider having age limits on the high end as opposed to just having age limits on the low end. Uh, and I think that this is, uh, you know, really a situation where, Joe Biden is just not recognizable to me. You know, I mean, I, I interacted with him, you know, obviously, you know, uh, multiple times over the years. And I just do not see him as being someone who is capable of doing this job for, you know, uh, the, the next five years, which is what he's asking us to, to expect from him. It's not something that I think is, right. is, you know, said, again, with any kind of like relishing of him leaving the stage or something like that. It's just we need to have confidence in the commander in chief who can be capable, who can be there, who can be cognizant of what's going on, who can be aware of what's going on around him and make decisions from that. And we don't have that right now, and we we don't have it at a particular point in American history, unfortunately, where we are facing severe threats around the world, global threats that that could determine the course of, of the next generation in terms of our future. We can't afford to have a president who's not there and right. fully with it. And Ben, thanks so much for the time. I know you got to run. Ben Dominich, pick up his uh, podcast, download it, uh, the Ben Dominich podcast. Go get him, Ben. Thank you. Right. And, and what I'm saying, I, while I'm sitting here five minutes ago, the president of the United States having uh, 
I guess they'll play the national anthems and they'll a few kind remarks with our great ally, South Korea. Uh, one of the things they decided among governments is that we provide the nuclear weapons, they would not research it. So that was an announcement came across. But watching the president, who had to go first protocol, uh, walk to the stage, it was painful. I mean, I literally, I would say to myself, I thought I was looking at a 105-year-old World War II veteran walk up the set as stage. And if I'm a Democrat, I'm running. If I, feel, if I felt as though I could be president, I'm running. Number one. Number two, if I'm a family member of President Biden, I'd say, Mr. President, you're not running. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. That was a mistake. Um, I never should have done that because E.T. is um, a product of its era. And it, it's not, it, no, no film should be revised based on the lenses we now are either voluntarily or being forced to peer through. All our movies are a kind of um, measuring, sort of a signpost of where we were when we made them. And what, what the world was like, what the world was receiving when we got those stories out there. So I really regret having them. But that is Steven Spielberg. I guess he's times uh, one of the time top 100, obviously best director ever, arguably. Uh, but talking about E.T., he changed one scene in particular where evidently they, they, the uh, would-be FBI agents pulled out guns on these kids. And they changed it to walkie-talkies. And he says it's a huge mistake. Of course it's a huge mistake. You have to have movies that represent the era they're in. That's why it was so upsetting to see people trying to get rid of Gone with the Wind. Don't change Gone with the Wind. Don't repress it. Say that was when it was made. This is how they depicted it. And then you say this is where we are. Let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Spirits Capital Corporation. Barreled whiskey is the cash cow of industry insiders. But now you too can invest in premium American whiskey as it ages. Go to caskdeeds.com. C-A-S-K-Deeds.com to learn more. Paid for by Spirits Capital Corporation. Yeah, just to expand on that, Spielberg claimed he made the changes due to the evolving views. But we always evolve. I mean, 2023 will be looked at differently in 2025. So any other movie we can't be adjusting. I just need people like him to make a stand culturally because he's got the power to do it. Just like Governor DeSantis standing up to Disney will stop the wokeness with corporations trying to uh, focus in on policy. Uh, joke. Also, why is there not an ET2? Next, Nintendo changes name of Mario Brothers that was deemed offensive. Incredibly unfortunate name. They call one of the one of the players. Do you do this, uh, Pete Blackie? No, I mean this is uh, this of uh, this has evolved after I was playing. When I played, it was just Mario and Luigi, and then Mario, Luigi, and the princess. I didn't get into well, but it's it. Japanese, right? I mean, they can't play well, much started, for this. Yeah, and apparently I, the, the character of Blackie that's been renamed Spike, he wasn't named because of the color of his skin, yeah. because he had a heavy black beard. But by the way, John Stamos, wasn't he Blackie on some, on, some, uh, uh, General, on General Hospital, Hospital or yeah. something? Yep. I'm not offended by that. I mean, come on, no, what's going I, on? I know, so we're going to go back and edit out reruns of General Hospital to change What about Whitey Bulger? Now suddenly does that have a negative connotation? Whitey Ford. Uh, Whitey Ford, yeah. I'm offended. How dare we? Uh, next, Ozempic patients say they're going bald while on the fat loss shot. And fat loss shot is supposed to be for diabetes. Now yeah. it's a fat loss shot. Uh, patients using the blockbuster weight loss drug Ozempic 
uh, say that this is one of the side effects. Another patient was so horrified after suffering hair loss, she said that she would rather be fat and able to hide behind my hair than skinny with bald spots. It's too have bad you, you got to make some, a choice. Have you seen some of the photos these people have been posting? No. You mean well, it's I mean, odd the way they're losing their hair? Of hair? Yeah. And, and there are other side effects, too, that they're talking about, including vivid dreams and suddenly being repulsed by common foods such as ground beef and losing muscle also. Wow. I don't want that. Uh, there's another weight loss out there. I can't tell the person, but it was just in our studio that's on. But it's not Ozempic. It's something else. Not losing hair. So I'll find out what that is. I'll share it with the audience. Yes. Next, Coors Light and Miller sales spike 18% in wake of the Dylan Mulvaney debacle because Bud Light has taken such a hit. In the week after the campaign launched April 1st, Bud Light dollar sales dropped 6%. Coors Light rose 3.5% and Miller 3%. The backlash ramped up against Anheuser-Busch with Kid Rock opening up fire on two of the cases. Comparison, Coors Light saw sales go up 10% the next week. And then Miller Light went up 11% the next week. Last week, sales at Bud Light had risen slightly with the company seeing just 6.7% dip in sales. So this is problematic. They fired or put on leave a couple of marketing people. How do you put a marketing person on leave? Like sticking me in the corner. I will pay you not to work. Promise me you'll give me no more ideas. I don't want anything. I don't want a slide in front. I don't want a big poster. No ideas. I need to figure out what I could do so you could put me on leave and I still get my pay. Right. That's what I want to figure out. Don't affect your pay. You did did a terrible job today. I'd like you to go home and do whatever you want and still pay. pay, pay. That is my dream. I'm going to try to figure this out over the next couple of days. Exactly. Fantastic. Uh, Michigan School District faces a lawsuit after forcing students to remove a Let's Go Brandon sweatshirt. Two students were prohibited from wearing that shirt, featured a phrase critical of President Biden. I don't even know what that means. The Foundation for Individual Rights, self-described as nonpartisan nonprofit, and they're representing the Tri-County Middle School students who sued the school district for viewpoint discrimination if they were forced to remove that. Let's go Brandon sign. Assistant principal and a teacher ordered the boys to remove the sweatshirts for allegedly the dress code violation. But they allow other students to don other political apparel like gay pride theme hoodies. Hmm. We're in a troubling, troubling times. You either have to cut it all or you have to allow right. it all. There's, there's, you can't have a middle There's no middle ground where, well, this is okay and this is not. You can't do that. Right. And maybe you just want Brandon to go. It has nothing to do with the president. That's right? a possibility. Fox like Sports. Uh, Brandon. Exactly. Uh, Fox Sports unveiled its broadcast schedule for the summer uh, Olympic, excuse me, the summer World Cup, the Women's World Cup. It's going to be in Australia, New Zealand. Uh, from July 20th to August 20th, it's going to be on Fox Sports 64 matches on Fox Sports 29, Fox Sports 1. Fox, uh, Fox has 29 games on the network. Fox Sports 1 has 35 games. We'll see what happens. This women's national team is so political, a lot of people are turned off. This isn't the Julie Foudy, Mia Hamm, uh, Abby Wambach team anymore, right? Right, and but some of the uh, some of the players now from the previous championship that are not going to be back. You think that helps now? No, no. I think they're in trouble. Uh, I, you know, I don't watch all the time like I used to because my girls play and they used to watch all the time. Unbelievable talent, but when they started weighing in with all this other stuff, and you lost like the Colin Lloyds of the world who aged out would be a great coach, by the way. I know she said she doesn't want to, but I hope she coaches. Did she say that on camera? Oh, she said that when I uh, when she was on that special forces program uh, with me, but. I just say to, I say to the women's national team, don't take a knee, be proud to be American, and win. 
From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We come to you from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Martha McCallum at the bottom of the hour, and John Levine is here from the New York Post. John, great to see you. Great being back. Great I want being back. I want to delve into the the Hunter Biden situation, where we're going with all these investigations, because it is yielding some results, and the story is moving. But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So what are these two meeting about? What are Hunter and Tony Blinken talking about with each other while Hunter is making all this money? All arrows point at Tony Blinken. He has to be hauled before Congress. Yeah, uh, that is Stephen Miller. Hunter, Hunter's circle of corruption widens as Tony Blinken links to Hunter hijinks become clearer and clearer by the day. This is an Arkansas judge makes it clear that deadbeat Hunter Biden better show up in court and pay for the child that he fathered at a wedlock who's now four years old. And I guess the family is in denial about it. Number two. Will you reopen the bill? No, we're going to pass the bill. Before. Wait, you guys not listen to my answer? <laughs> Uh, that is House Speaker Kevin McCarthy behind closed doors at this hour, getting closer and closer to getting his Republican caucus to sign off on his idea of what it would take to raise the debt ceiling and hopefully negotiate with President Biden. But if he can't get his caucus in line, then there's no sense in meeting with President Biden, obviously, and embarrassing to the Republicans. Number one. Joe Biden's announcement video was one of the weirdest things that I've ever seen <laughs> uh, as far as talking about it was freedom. Odd. And lack of vision. Uh, I was looking at that thinking, what does this guy define as freedom? Uh, that was Governor Christy Noem on with Sean last night. Plots and plans. President Biden plan for 2024 show how bad it would be for you if Trump or DeSantis were to win. The problem? They do not have a candidate who seems capable of campaigning at all with a message uh, of any other message besides Trump is bad. Hey, Joe, how about a plan to govern? Not just go green, maybe a patriotic vision that inspires a nation. Uh, John, so it's official. A lot of people are saying it's fait accompli. Uh, the New York, you, you write for the New York Post, uh, the fait accompli that Joe Biden and Donald Trump, this is going to be a rematch. Are you willing to say that? It looks more and more like it's going to be a rerun. I mean, obviously, if Joe Biden wants it, no one in the Democratic Party can stop him. And it, it looks like Trump is is going to get it. He just got endorsed by Steve Daines, the head of the Republican Senate uh, reelection committee. Very important job. Bill Haggerty was a senator from Tennessee, was a few days before that. Look at the congressman from from Florida. All of the people, DeSantis's backyard, they're lining up behind Trump. DeSantis only has one. I think Trump has eight. So the numbers look pretty bad for DeSantis. And he still can't even legally run because of that law in Florida that requires him to serve his term as governor or resign to run. And he's trying to have that reversed. But he's in a, he's in a very – he's in a bit of a rut, no question. 44 years old. <clears throat> You know, obviously, if he waited four years, 48, but also we saw with Chris Christie, sometimes you have that window and yeah. it might be too early for you, but that but the but the country might be ready for you and might not be ready when you're ready. Look, Trump's window is when he was 70. Biden's window is when he was 76. You know, your window is when it comes. And as you say with Christie, he was hot in 2012. Then he did the Obama hug and uh, you never heard from him again. Right. 
Uh, but he's going to go out there and might run again. Man, is he talented. If you watch him on ABC, you see his insights. So uh, don't, uh, don't minimize him yet, and he might be listening too. So you got to be aware of that, John, because he yeah. knows where to find you. He, look, he, he, I think he'd be the first to admit he should have run in 2012. Yeah, and then they said, okay, he's going to probably be number two with Mitt Romney, and Mitt Romney yeah. went a different direction. And then he thought he would be like the loudmouth jerk in the in the 2016 lane, and he got out loudmouthed and out jerked. So to speak. <laughs> uh, uh, the Hunter hijinks continue. So a couple of uh, things, and you've been leading the charge on this. Anthony Blinken faces increased scrutiny over his role, surprise me, in Hunter Biden with his longtime relationship with Hunter Biden. When he was Deputy Secretary of State, Hunter Biden was visiting. There's also correspondence with the Burisma executive where Hunter Biden was serving with almost no qualifications and other deals and other people to be introduced to. So the coziness was greater between Blinken and Hunter than even Joe and Anthony Blinken. What do you think this means? The blight is spreading. It's very Nixonian now. You see, it, it, you know, obviously there's Joe, but it's it, as with Nixon, you had Haldeman and Ehrlichman and it started to spread out. Here you're seeing Hunter's malfeasances and connections spreading to people like Anthony Blinken, the secretary of state. He, they were having meetings. And, you know, Blinken was the one, as Stephen Miller alluded to earlier, Blinken was the one that instigated the letter from the 51 intelligence agency officials saying the laptop was Russian disinformation, which he knew was false and Joe Biden knew was false when he said it in the debate. So – Blinken's an integral part of this. And the reason I say the blight is spreading because you also have Merrick Garland, who I think is part of this as well, because he was identified by the IRS whistleblower as someone who is interfering in the DOJ investigation into Hunter Biden. So you're seeing the top aides being drawn in. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of accusations of misinterpretation and misrepresentations. And I think the only way to get around it is just get all the relevant people to come in front of Congress under oath and say their piece and We'll let the chips fall where they may. And then you ask yourself, how many more staffers want to take the fall for a president who's been covered up for for the last six years? If there's anything there, how many times are you going to ask not to answer accurately? And if Garland was somebody who didn't tell the truth under oath and he is the lead law enforcement officer, a disaster. Congressman James Comer is all over this. This is what he said on Larry Kudlow last night when he talks about what Garland's doing about a five-year investigation into Hunter. Cut 27. This involves many Biden family members. And for the IRS to just come in or the Department of Justice to just come in and cherry-pick the president's son, that's not going to cut it. And to just cherry-pick the president's son and say we're going to get you on tax evasion or some misdemeanor gun charge, that, that doesn't even scrape the surface of the potential wrongdoing that this family has done. So I think that uh, they've got a lot more complicated case than they understand what to fully uh, do with. So these bank records are, it seems to me, you're the expert, seems to be moving this further than than anybody thought, along with the laptop. But the the five-year investigation, tax evasion, a gun charge, when everything is basically in writing, and the FBI said they were done with it. They turned it over to the uh, the, uh, district attorney in Delaware. It's very bizarre because I remember even a few uh, months before the election, the midterms, there was all this reporting how, oh, the Hunter Biden DOJ probe is wrapping up. It's reached a critical moment. It's like we're like right there. And everyone was in the building. Okay, this is about to drop. And then – Weeks, months pass, and now we're almost in May, and and there's still nothing. And you see this investigation lagging; nothing's moving on the DOJ side. And all of a sudden, now a whistleblower says that Garland has uh, been interfering in some nefarious way. Iffy, suspicious. But the whistleblower may never never be public. 
But it, behind closed doors would be the Ways and Means Committee, I think, first. But the IRS has special provisions, I understand, quirks, so to speak, where they can only do a certain amount of things. So if they're looking up uh, John uh, John's uh, taxes or my taxes, they got to make sure that they can't tell everyone what's in them, even if it's something that's bad. So they need special permission. Right. I believe everyone's going to give it because if this IRS agent who has no political axe to grind, supposedly, according to the agent, comes forward and said, it kills me that I did this thing and I know it. And I they evidently have receipts. Right. Of the, which seems to be Merrick Garland. No, it's a major matter of national security. And I don't understand. I mean, Democrats, I mean, obviously we live in very partisan times, but Democrats should support this. If there was if there was you know, a major government official lying under oath or abusing his office, that shouldn't be a partisan issue. But everything's a partisan issue. Here's Jim Jordan, uh, Cut 29. Over 170 suspicious activity reports, thousands of pages, multiple LLCs. Now what, what Chairman Comer said is 12 Bidens getting money from foreign entities. Now, something just isn't right with that picture, especially when you ask the fundamental question, what was the value they, they added to the, what, what, what service did they provide? What did they do to warrant receiving those, those funds from all these foreign entities? That, to me, is the kind of the, the fundamental question here. Now we have all this other stuff going on with these lawyers and what they're saying. But the bottom line is all those reports going to 12 Bidens from foreign entities, that, to me, is the big question. Right. Uh, are we going to get to the answer to that? Is someone going to answer it or someone's going to ask? We haven't had this question, John. Mm. Uh, Mr. President, do you know Tony Bobulinski? Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, oh, we'd just like to hear that. Yeah. You're never going to get that question. I mean, it's you look at the press conferences, Corrine Jean-Pierre, none of, the, none of the major media companies except Fox News, which is very, very good about it. But nobody else ever asks about Hunter. They, and, and, and every now and then when an errant question comes up, she just waves it off. Oh, are we still talking about that? That's... We're not talking about that. She just ignores it and no follow-up. They don't treat it as a real story because, unfortunately, the press corps doesn't treat it with the seriousness it deserves, except right. for Fox News and the New York Post. All right. We're going to take a short time out. Be back with John Levine on his investigations. John, first off, he will tell us what he's working on now. And the answer might be nothing. You might be taking the Never rest nothing. of the day off. That is not the answer. Okay. That's a better <laughs> tease. But I'm just saying feel under no obligation. But I would just like everyone to continue to listen through the break. Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I just think they've bent over backwards to do everything that Hunter asked them to do. So if Hunter says, I'm going to have business deals and let's not tell anybody about them, but I need your help, Dad, Joe Biden has a history of bending over backwards to do, make life easier for his son. And, of course, we all suspect that his son made life easier for the father by funneling the money that he received from his lobbying efforts abroad to support his father. How else does he have a beach house in Delaware on a senator's salary? So that is the family history. I'm just glad to see Hunter is going to get hauled into court it's appropriate if you want to get answers very interesting because they got to get financials from hunter biden because believe it or not he wants to pay less child support for a kid out of wedlock and reportedly dodging being served for not paying this child support by staying in the white house can you imagine if don jr or eric 
You know, if Tiffany is left out of a picture, it was a scandal with the Trump administration. And now you have a kid out of wedlock who's not invited to anything, and they're fighting to make sure he doesn't have the Biden last name. With me in studio, Martha McCallum, if you're smart enough to get Fox Nation, and John Levine, New York Post writer. I feel good about myself today because you guys met for the first time. Hi, John. Yeah, hi. Right. Good to see you. You, you know yeah. each other, but you know, you. you know John's work about this investigation, about what's happening. Wouldn't it be ironic, Martha, if people's demanding of Hunter Biden's financial records move this tax case further and reveal maybe where all Hunter's money is? Because all I hear about is million-dollar deals, and he's got no money. Yeah, uh, it's convenient, right? And, and I mean, on a couple of points that I would just bring up based on what you just said, one is – it's odd to me that the White House would protect a person against law enforcement officials. That seems weird, right? Yes. But he's hanging out there so he can't be served papers. You would think that you would, you know, if they knock on the door, what are they going to say? Like, no, he just left. Hunter, uh, Hunter run out the back door. They're uh, at the front door. Um, so that's weird. I, I, my mind always goes back to the email. This one really stuck out to me when, when Hunter Biden said, I think to one of his daughters, um, you know, maybe someday I'm paraphrasing here. Maybe someday you'll understand what it's like to support this whole family um, and do everything for pop. Right. And you know, I will never I do hope that, that burden you. and I'll never do it to you. Right. And to me, sometimes in a story, there's just a moment of clarity. And to me, that email, it really says everything, doesn't it? It does. It explains the whole thing right there. And John, the one thing I know about addiction and people who are addicts, the last thing you want to do is put them under stress. That's why a lot of times they have breakdowns and relapses during holidays because they got to go meet people and be judged, so to speak. And what you're doing is go to go to China, cut a deal with an energy company, which is really a subsidiary of the government, pull off multimillion dollars and promise access to the U.S. government. Is there more high stakes deal? I'm not showing too much compassion for a guy that's now getting millions of dollars for a painting that he blows through a straw. But I'm just saying, why are you putting that burden on that son. Right. And and that, as you just mentioned, that's the whole heart of the case. If he's giving 50 percent of his earnings and kicking that up to Joe Biden. To the big guy. It's, it's just it's essentially just money transfers. Joe can keep his hands clean while Hunter does these deals with all these foreign entities. And then that money gets moved up back to Joe Biden. And it's it's sort of a backdoor way. Yeah. It's essentially laundering. And and that that's the crux of this whole thing. Do those payments now make Joe Biden in some way compromised to Chinese interests? And you have – and, you know, what I look at when I see this information is things like the balloon response to the Chinese spy balloon where we did nothing. We didn't tell the American people. We let the balloon continue its mission to completion before downing it in the ocean. And then we shot down a balloon from Hobby Lobby over, you know, ridiculous. It was about time. Yeah. Those people have been and, <laughs> and apparently that was one of several spy balloons mm. that, that we were not told about, which we learned in the, in the, in the leaks recently that came out. So – there's, there's a lot of very serious questions surrounding all of that. And to add to all that, he was an active alcoholic and drug addict and crack addict. And by his own admission in the hard drive during this period, he's like snorting Parmesan cheese off the floor. And it's, it's a terrible sex situation. Addiction. I think you could say sex addiction is one. Sure. Thing. Absolutely. Certainly if you've seen the hard drive. And it's a, it's a terrible position to put an addict into. And it's, it's a terrible series of circumstances. And I'm not surprised that you have a history of relapsing. And a history of, of going back into this. I mean, from a family compassion level, absolutely, it's a terrible position to put an addict in. From the other side, it's an excellent position to put an addict in. If you're China or you are oh, yeah. Ukraine, you're glad this guy has a problem, right? And he's giving you information. You're paying him. You've got that additional thing to hold over his head as well. 
And uh, it puts him in a very compromised position with these with these other entities because they know they're dealing with somebody who's reckless. Forty million dollar gas deal was done with president through the government. We gave them a $40 million deal in Ukraine to get this done. And I just wonder, will there be any type of kickback for for Biden doing it? And I'm struck by the stenographer, Mike McCormick, who said, I was there every step of the way. I've been doing this job for 11 years, got hired by Barack, uh, worked through the Barack Obama administration. And when I got in Ukraine and saw what was happening, I was seeing a corrupt deal in a corrupt family. And he's incensed by it. We'll talk to anyone about it. And again, keep in mind, this is not the Trump stenographer. This is a guy that was taking down everything, traveling to the Ukraine uh, with the Bidens. And the other thing, and I want to be naive on this. On some level, does Barack Obama talk to Michelle and said, honey, do you see this? Do you see what he was doing when I sent him to Ukraine? Do you know when he hopped on Air Force Two and went to Mexico and saw, I think, some other huge business deal in his last month in office? He flies down there with Hunter and meets a Mexican businessman. If I'm Obama, do I, on some level, and again, people are going to say to me, you're crazy. Is Obama like, what the hell was he up to? Well, remember, they didn't want to step in. They they were worried about it, according to reporting in the White House. And his son, Bo, had just, had just right. died. And they were concerned that he was taking these trips with Hunter in the areas of his own foreign policy purview of Ukraine and China. And, uh, you know what, just back off right now. Don't make a big deal about it. You know, the thing that always also strikes me is I just think that in their own mind, this is the way it works. This is the way everyone in government makes a ton of money. There are career politicians. Joe Biden was a senator at 29, right? Um. So he his whole life, he's like, well, I'm serving the country and I have to figure out a way to make some money. And there's all these lobbying deals. I, I just think it's so much the way that business is done in Washington that they genuinely didn't see any problem with any of it. Right. You know, I you know, if you talk to James Comer, he'll say I'm not. Look, this is not a partisan issue, which, you know, you have to t- take him at his word for it. He was saying he's looking to create rules and and systems in place that would prevent the children and relatives of members of both parties from doing what Hunter did. And, you know, the greatest revelation might not be what was illegal, but what was legal. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that Hunter might have done might not actually be a crime in the end. And it's stuff that we should consider regulating in the future. But how many countries you're dealing with and how does it affect foreign policy? You do have a lot of control now. Now we find out the secretary of state right in the middle of it. Thanks so much, John. Great to see you. that makes you think this is the brian kilmeade show but you know around the country MAGA extremists are lining up to take on those bedrock freedoms cutting social security that you paid for your entire life while cutting taxes for the very wealthy dictating what health care decisions women can make banning books and telling people who they can love all while making it more difficult for you to be able to vote uh, that is uh, President Biden's message to say, I'm going to run four more years. But he never actually said reelect me. Uh, he had a speech a little bit later on where they chanted four more years. Martha McCallum here. Martha, you just, you know, we went over this. You actually had me on your show with uh, the great Bill Hammer yesterday. Mm-hmm. Is that there's not an inspirational message there. It's I'm better than the other guy. I'm so much, but you don't want Donald Trump. You don't want Donald Trump. And he's leading right now. You can make that argument. Can you say I don't want Nikki Haley? Can you say I don't want Tim Scott? Can you say you don't? It's so scary to have Ron DeSantis. 
I think it's um, it's the same message pretty much that we got last time. It worked for him last time around. He's hoping it'll work for him this time around. He started last time with a message about Charlottesville. This one, this whole video starts off the first opening scene. Video scene is January 6th. He wants to ingrain that in people's minds. Basically, he's hoping to run against President Trump because he thinks he beat him once. He can beat him again with a constant reminder that uh, of January 6th and of extremism, MAGA extremists. You heard uh, Karine Jean-Pierre when she came out for the press conference yesterday. Uh, she must have said MAGA extremists nine times uh, in that phrase, So, she, which is interesting, right? Because she says, oh, wait, no. If you ask her a question about the election, she's going to she's going to say Hatch Act, right? She's going to say, I can't discuss it from here. But the MAGA extremist thread that's going to go through every single thing she says is essentially campaigning. So if you are Ronna McDaniel, if you're any of these candidates, how do you not make that a negative label? So in 2022, maybe it was negative. They go MAGA extremist. Now, they want to be MAGA. MAGA people want to be MAGA. So if you're a marketing Madison Avenue person, Mm. how do you make sure that that is not a scarlet letter? I think you have to – I think it's a really interesting communications question. And if I were doing it, if it were my job, um, Madison Avenue, to help them do it, I would say that making America great again is nothing to be ashamed of. Um, That anyone on both sides of the aisle who wants to make America great again is putting their attention in the right place. I would also say that – you know, I mean, obviously, January 6th was a just terrible, awful day, and it will um, it's it's gonna, it's not going to go away. But I think you can extrapolate and say, you know, that the people who care about the country um, are, are not, you know, that that is not what they should be wrapped up in. And take a look at all of the different things in the country that need to be that need to be fixed and go through them one by one. I think there's a way to, to do it. I, I think making America great again is something that. But it's got to be addressed. Absolutely. Just like the abortion you have has to, to be addressed. Head on. Exactly. And I think it's very interesting what Nikki Haley did yesterday. I, I think that you cannot run away from that issue. You have to articulate it. You have to be smart about it. You have to say to people, look, do you really want to, do you really think that, you know, babies in the womb after five months of being pregnant should be aborted? And if that's where you're at, you know, that's a 20 week ban right there. I think you have to leave it to the states to make these decisions. I don't think it I think that what Dobbs decided was that it can't be a federal question. It has to be a state question. So I, I, I give her credit because she's sticking her neck out there in a place that everybody else seems to be running away from. And they're going to have to they're going to have to articulate it head on. And what she's saying is let's she's also saying let's talk about it. Right. Right. Exactly. Let's, let's debate this out because, you know, we you do what Chris Rock did. Oh, uh, I mean, that fascinating. Yeah. He went right at it. And the last thing he said, he's pro-life. You should be able to do what you want. He goes, even after kids, in, you know, have obviously comedy. If this kid's getting on your nerves, he's four years old. Go ahead and do it. He goes, just so you know, you're killing babies. That's right. And that's how he ended. So that's a comedian. But that's the con- That's a real conversation to have. 100%. Which I've been always told from the time, I think probably in sixth or seventh grade, it's like, you don't want to talk about abortion. You know, you just don't want to talk. And then when you we come here, that's not an issue that we really discussed. Roe v. Wade has set a law that's not going to change. Why are we people bringing it up? And now it looks like the pro-lifers caught the car and they don't have a message once they caught it. Even I asked Cardinal Dolan. I asked Cardinal Dolan on Easter. I said, how do you feel about uh, the pro-life message? He goes, it's great. I go, what if you if what if Republicans that made that happen never win another major election? Would it be worth it? He said, we have to do a better job messaging what pro-life means. 
So even the cardinal, obviously, arguably the most famous in America, Catholic in America, so we have to do a better job of communicating. Absolutely. And I think the church has to do a better job of communicating it. I think the church has to really get out there and talk about it. I think he was inferring about, that, too. And, yeah, absolutely. Implying And, that. you know, they have to get out there and say and talk about adoption a lot. Republicans can talk about adoption a lot. They can talk about great success stories. I mean, look at Aaron Judge. He was adopted on the day he was born, okay? Are the Yankees better off because he, because he, Colin because he lived? Colin Cap, absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, those are the stories that I think that conservatives can focus on. And they, they can't be afraid of this issue because the, the fact of the matter is that when you actually talk about what a four-month-old, five-month-old fetus is, what's happening with that baby, with that growing baby, um, it, it gets a little more tricky for people to say, yeah, I don't have any problem with that. Well, because you have 3D uh you have three three uh, d uh, images of this baby now, which is much different, but you just said something interesting where Republicans could say we 've been bad in the past talking only about abortion. We should talk about what happens when that baby's born because at the same time you 're messaging have that baby we 're not providing the services for that single eighteen year old single mom who might not have it or the welfare payments that might be necessary, so maybe talk about the whole situation. Yeah, I mean, Nikki Haley was saying, said, you know, this is a, quest, a discussion about moms, supporting moms and babies, supporting them, figuring out how to help them in a situation that they never wanted to be in. You have compassion, obviously, for that person, and you have to help them through it. All right. Uh, so in the next three weeks, I think Tim Scott's going to come on tonight at 8, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Mike Pence in the next few weeks is going to announce, he says, any serious person's got to do it be in June. And then Sununu said, any serious candidate before July 4th. When this field plays out, I think we're getting, not you, but we're getting used to just saying Donald Trump's going to win or DeSantis. I think this could level out a little bit. we might have said that about Jeb Bush. Absolutely. <laughs> I think we might have said make... it about Rudy Giuliani. Um, well, he's definitely the front runner. Absolutely the front runner. But you have a um, former president who's yes, um, making the phone calls to get endorsements. Yes. And, no. and you know what? That, that you just touched on exactly what is the difference here. Okay. The difference here is I, in many ways, politically, I look at him as, as an incumbent. He's, he's a first term president of the United States who, you know, by losing that second campaign, took a big hiatus. But the fact of the matter is that he we've never worked through this before. Never. A, a president who is gone for four years and wants to run again in many people's minds. He's he's a he's a president. It's a former president. Right. Obviously, um, you know, he lost in 2020, but he's back again. So it's a truly unique situation. Obviously, he has leverage that no other candidate has. So yesterday he did make news and I thought he's been brilliant laying out. Like why, why, why are you punching yourself out so early? And he's not. He's doing a good job. Also, he's building up Truth Social. He's making people cover him in Truth Social. It's not, well, he's only getting 2%. Why are we covering him? No, he's leading. I have to cover him. Absolutely. Building up his platform. Number two, he came out yesterday and he basically indicated that uh, I'm not debating. I don't, I don't know who's going to be the, I don't know who's going to be the moderate. There's a lot of anti-Trumpers out there and I don't know what network's going to do it. So no one checked with me first. What do you think? You know, he doesn't do things like that without calculation. Well, he, I think, broke open the mold on debates by not attending yes. one of ours in did you, 2016. Did you moderate that? Uh, no. But oh. um, it was, there were so many candidates up there, right? So we had two teams on that one, and I did not do that one. But um, 
So, you know, he I think he broke open that mold for candidates to say, oh, well, maybe I'm going to participate. Maybe I'm not. So obviously you want the top candidates and the former president of the United States to be part of that debate. I think it's a great opportunity for the American people. And it's a great opportunity to see the contrast between his, you know, he's got experience on his side. Right. Uh, four years of experience. So I, I certainly hope that he will participate. So you hope. But what if he says, I'm you know, I'm not happy. I saw. And let's be honest, I'm going to be the moderator at some point. Let's say, hey, Brian Kilmeade came out against me here. I, I don't want this guy in. I don't want this woman in. This woman said some things about me, clearly not comfortable with me as a candidate. I don't like it. So is Ronna McDaniel going to say, I'm going to give in because we need, we need the former president on this? She can't appear that way. If I'm DeSantis you know, or Chris- I, I take heart in the fact that the president has said many times that he likes it when people um, ask him tough questions. And challenging questions. He he's handles himself extraordinarily well in these situations. So I don't think that the former president has anything to fear in these environments. Do you remember and how he handles long he himself complained very about well. the Megyn Kelly question? You know how long he complained about that? Oh, you yes, right. I remember. Uh, yeah. And so he he wants he wants fair. You know, Leslie Stahl. Remember that last interview, Leslie Stahl? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a hoax. It was a hoax. It's not a hoax. They didn't do. No, that was very unfair. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that the president knows that he can get a fair hearing from people like me and Brett Baer and others who are involved in this process. And um, I think it'd be a big mistake not to engage in it. Uh, I think the president, I'm just trying to see the exact. Uh, Trump takes an incredible 43 point lead in the latest poll. Uh, he's loving these polls lately. And he's got his book out, Letters from Trump. Um. All right, I don't know where the exact tweet was where he said, I might not be doing this, but I asked Ronna McDaniel about it today, and she says, listen, I've been in constant contact. We'll see what happens. I think Tim Scott is the only one, Vivek to a, to a degree, is opening up like a traditional candidate. Mm-hmm. If you see him talking about America, its promise, and where we've come and where we've been and why we're the best, I'm struck by Joe Biden okaying that script yesterday without anything. You can't show me a pasture or a mountain. You can't show me a horse running through an open field. Can you give me anything that gives me a sense of hope? Nothing. No, I know. And he did, what about the voiceover? The voiceover was a whisper. It was a raspy whisper. Yeah. And there's there's no discussion about the strength and competitiveness of America, of our edge, of our ability to handle foreign yeah. policy. There's no mention of China. Now, I know it's just one ad. Maybe the foreign policy ad is going to be in the next round. But, yeah, as you point out, I don't know. When I see rural America right now, I think to myself, is there an, a Chinese EV plant being built there? You know, I mean, that's a real concern. So has he given up on the rural part of the country? Is that what that tells us in that ad, that he's yeah. not speaking to them? Yeah, let me get to that truth social. It says, this is what Trump said. I see that everybody is talking about the Republican debates, but nobody got my approval or the approval of the Trump campaign before announcing them. When you are leading my seemingly insurmountable numbers and you have hostile mm-hmm. networks with angry Trump and MAGA hating anchors asking questions, why subject yourself to being libeled and abused? Also, the second debate is being held at the Reagan Library, the chairman of which is amazingly Fred Ryan, publisher of The Washington Post. I didn't know that. Uh, but I'm pretty sure you'll get a fair. I'm pretty sure if they open up the venue with Air Force One behind you, Fred Ryan's not. I think going it's to- an amazing. It's an amazing venue. I think anybody who, uh, any former president or any. 
current candidate should want to stand in that place. I mean, where better to soak up the right. Ronald Reagan vibe and leadership message than than right there? I, I honestly, I mean, I, I respect what the former president's saying here, and I think he He's obviously will be part of the process. He's absolutely, and um, and I, but I can't, I, I can't imagine him missing that opportunity. To right. be part of that, especially Martha, especially Martha McCallum is one of the moderators. One which of the better most be the case. fair, straightforward people that you could you ever ask to be in that situation. Would you give me an exclusive <laughs> after debates with you? <laughs> Absolutely, you would. Absolutely, if I'm allowed to stay up. We're waiting. You know, we're, we're all of that is still taking shape. So I understand. Um, in other words, you're going to save it for Brett Bear. You're going to you're going to break the news <laughs> with Brett Bear that you're both moderating at some point, hopefully. All right, 12 minutes before the top of the hour. We'll take a short time out. Come back, take some calls. More on Martha McCallum, and we'll find out exclusively what's on her show at 3. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, y'all, we are back. Uh, so uh, Martha McCallum's here. Uh, Martha, in a matter of moments, is going to tell us who's on her show. But I will bring this to this. Uh, Kevin McCarthy has got his first big test. He sure does. Can he get his 300, is it 345 pages to what the Republicans would do in order to raise the debt ceiling, which is uh, cut some programs, repurpose pandemic money, uh, go ahead to 2022 spending levels. And it looks like he's had problem with the Midwest belt or so called corn of uh, the corn belt. These guys don't want to cut ethanol. that over um, uh, in and, the last take that I saw. And then the work part of welfare, they want the hours longer perhaps. Mm-hmm. So this is his first big test. Here's McCarthy yesterday. Cut 30. Will you reopen the bill? What? Will you reopen the bill? No, we're going to pass the bill. Before. Wait, you guys not listen to my answer. <laughs> but he's got to reopen the bill. Doesn't he? I mean, you don't think he can go around the edges after we just saw 15 rounds to get the job? Yeah. You know, I think it's very interesting because I think we are seeing the regular order that he promised in terms of the haggling over this bill. When you think about it, you know, I know Corinne Jean-Pierre yesterday said that she was you know, horrified by some of the cuts that they were doing. We, we have to talk about cutting something. I don't care if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat. If you, you are living in la-la land, if you think you're going to have Social Security and Medicare and these programs last forever, they're not. They're going to run out in the next you know, five to ten years unless you reorganize the country and basically turn it into you know, an even bigger tax machine than it is already. So, um, you, know, the areas, gonna have, you think we'll get that news today? It, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I think that, they've, that, that I get the sense – that they feel optimistic. I think they do. I think they do. But we have Chad. Um, he's going to you know, keep us up to speed on it during the show. But I, I, I think there's some reason to think that. I don't see why they can't put it that way. I don't see why they can't. But during the Trump years, Trump had wanted, didn't want to hear of it. He said, just raise the debt ceiling. Just say, you know. We're doing, no, and I that, know. He, he eliminated all that debate. Any, any leverage that McConnell wanted or the Paul Ryan got. And later on, uh, you know, the Paul Ryan got. that It was gone because he just raised it. He said, okay, I'll just raise it. But and then they just shelved it for two years. I know. No, I I think it's I think it's appalling. I think that the our debt is is absolutely appalling. I think we need to do something to rein it in. And again, I don't think that should be a, a partisan perspective. I mean, it is. It's like just digging into the candy store day after day after day and thinking that you're not going to get sick. We're really sick. 
We're really sick with overspending in this country. And I, I applaud Kevin McCarthy for, for going there. The yeah. fact that that is a tremendous act of courage to me is just shocking. I, I mean, know. you had people on both sides. Joe Biden, in fact, um, we have a great old piece of tape of Joe Biden talking about how these programs can't go on forever. You have to raise the age eventually. People are healthier and healthier than ever, right? The ex, the living longer, you know, raise it by a couple of years and you can save those programs a tremendous amount of money. And you don't have to do it to anybody who's anywhere close to it. Do it people like under 45 or under 40, whatever you want to do. Well, you see President Trump running ads against Ron DeSantis saying that he wants to raise the age to 70, which I'm not sure what he said, but he probably said, I imagine at one point he probably said, yeah, I think we got to raise the age. Why is that a third rail? I would say to the villages. Uh, and because Absolutely. They, you see how healthy because they are? you're not doing any, you're not taking away one dime yeah. from people who are already receiving it or even those who are a decade away from receiving it. But you have to think about the future. These young people are paying into the system and, and they're never going to get a dime back. And President Trump knows that. He knows that. He just thinks it's politically a very difficult place to go and it's a loser. So he doesn't want to do, want to address it. And now who's going to be on your show, Martha? So we have Jack Keane. We're going to talk about this, um, how we're supposed to be happy that the Taliban is taking out ISIS leaders, uh, which is pretty stunning. We're also going to talk to David Asher about what's going on with the gain-of-function research. Um, and we, the big thing at the top of the show is Randy Weingarten. We have, uh, we're going to watch what she says as she's pressed by Congress about how she kept the school closed. 3 o'clock today, and I'll see you at 8 o'clock tonight. Thanks, Brian. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.